podcast with me, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and podcast number 146. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening, finding us wherever you find us. I'm here with the blisterious one, Bliss Young. How are you doing, Bliss? I'm here. You're here? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Bliss was up all night. Uh, up all night. And not for the reasons some of you might think, but more for the reasons that <laughs> most of the birth workers are up. So <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> sadly. Sadly. So uh, anyway, so this is Dr. Seuss Podcast, and I'm him. And we're glad that you're here. And you can find us at uh, iTunes. You can find us on your podcast app. You can like us on Facebook. You can reach me at askdrstu at gmail.com. My website is birthinginstincts.com. Bliss, give, her, give your information. Um, I'm birthingbliss.com. And on social media, I'm birthingblissmidwifery. Yeah, and I'm at birthinginstincts on Instagram as well. Yeah. I've not been posting lately, though, much other than podcast posts. Yeah. Yeah. You know yep. why? Mm, yes. Tell me why. Because <laughs> you've been moving. I've been moving. Yeah. That's right. What That's a right. pain in the rear end. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. In some ways, it's really good. It's really good to go through stuff and throw out bags and bags and bags of nine bags, nine garbage bags full of clothing to Goodwill. That's a lot. Yeah. That's good for uh, you. Yeah. And I still probably could have three more. Yeah. It's hard right. parting with stuff. I still have my dad's bowling shirt. I can't part with that. Aww. Yeah, it's his bowling shirt. It says Irv on it. You should get it framed. No. <laughs> That'd be kind of cute, don't you, you think? Know how many, you know how many paintings and pictures I have in storage already? No. I would need to buy a house with huge numbers of walls someday. Why don't you sell some of that stuff so you don't have to have storage? Yeah, that's a good question. People ask me that. <laughs> if you store stuff for like three or four years, it's probably paid more in storage fees than the stuff's worth. Totally, yeah. I know. I have a brand new LG washer and dryer that was brand new five years ago, and they've been in storage ever since. Time to sell those. But they're brand new. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Well, they're vintage. <laughs> you know, if I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, they'll be priceless. Yes, but you could also sell it. I could. Yeah. <laughs> Downside. Yeah, so now I have two pods. One in Van Nuys and one in Oxnard. So, wow. yeah, if I want to make a decision on uh, other things about moving more permanently in the next year, then I probably will go there and I don't know. I don't think you can have a garage sale at the pod facility, but I'll have to figure out something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have my pod delivered to the, you know, the Pasadena swap meet or something. And, and uh, if they still have that in Pasadena, by the way. Oh, yeah. Desi loves that place. I haven't been there in a long time. The bed, I, I bought a bed there years and years ago and I gave it away. I posted on Facebook and within an hour, somebody wanted it. See? So I gave it away for free. See? Yep. You like your new place? I gave away an old birth pool that I had for free, too. It had a hole in it. Oh, I was going to say. No, I had a hole in it, and I just gave it to some woman who wanted it for her birth, and I, and she contacted me, and I gave it away. Oh, awesome. It's feels but good. But I still have, like, dining room table and cabinets and picnic tables and, you know, picnic tables. I haven't had a picnic table place to have a picnic table in 17 years, and I still have a picnic table <laughs> <laughs> in storage. It's really time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So uh, we're here. So you had, you, we're going to get to, well, we can talk a little bit more about moving because today I did, before the podcast, I was running errands in the valley where I'm living now, mm-hmm. in the beautiful San Fernando Valley. And um, I went to the Spectrum store because they screwed up on me yesterday. Um, they had a work order to come to my house yesterday at five o'clock. So I'm s- sitting there till 630 and nobody shows up and then... I call and they say, oh, our, our, our tech was out there and he called. And I said, no, he didn't call. I got, a, I got one of your auto calls at four o'clock saying he'd be there in an hour. And so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Oh, it looks like he called the number of the, of the old subscriber, not the number of the work order. So he called Mike's number mm. and Mike didn't pick up. So he left. Bummer. <laughs> so I went back to the Spectrum store this morning to drop off an old router. And then I went to the UPS store to drop off my old DirecTV um, what do you call the things? The boxes. Mm-hmm. I guess the boxes. Mm-hmm. And that was really the easiest thing ever. I, I lo- I'm in love, even though I won't be with DirecTV anymore because the building I have doesn't have DirecTV. I'm going to have to go with Spectrum, who didn't show up <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, and you don't have a choice. I hate when um, that happens. Yeah, but it was made it so easy. I just went there and they scanned the back of the, of the boxes and I got a receipt and I walked away. And they take care of mailing them and the DirecTV pays for the postage and that was great. That is great. And as I was driving through the valley, I did notice a couple of things, though. 
right? Even though I'm, I'm starting to like my neighborhood, but I was all over. I was in Van Nuys with North Hollywood. Um, I drove past, I probably drove about 10 miles this morning. Mm-hmm. Drove past five McDonald's, mm-hmm. seven 7-Elevens, <laughs> uh, at least seven Subways. Yep. Right. So, yeah. You know I used to live in the Valley, right? Yes. Yeah, I had a, I had a house in Reseda. Didn't everyone used to live in the Valley? <laughs> I don't know. I had a house in Reseda that I bought, and then I lived in Van Nuys. That's where my home births were. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm in Little Studio City right now, and I, I've, I've walked to restaurants. So there's a bike path I can go on, and cool. I even got my bike fixed. It's My bike's been in storage for five years. <laughs> good. That's a good one to update. Yeah, yeah. I, I took it to a little bike shop on Ventura Boulevard, and they fixed it up for like 79 bucks is all he charged me to fix up my bike. And, it, you know, it, it hadn't been ridden, and it was, you know, needed to be oiled and changed. The tires, it needed new tubes, and for 79 bucks, it was like a really good deal. So uh, now I just have to do it. Yeah. But I hurt my back, you know, a couple weeks ago, and that's slowly getting better. I rode the horses yesterday. That's great. So then I didn't have any pain while I was riding the horses. I had pain getting off the horse. <laughs> How do you ride both horses? I tow one. Oh. Yeah. I really need to get over there. With you need you. to get over there, right? I know. Yep. I know. Any of you listeners who live in SoCal who want to go on a horseback ride up at that beautiful Saddle Rock Ranch, uh, you can just email me, and uh, we can set that up. We can take you for a horseback ride. That's pretty awesome. Right. And then you can treat me for some alcohol afterwards. <laughs> right. Yes. My right. back's better too. Uh, no, that's a, that's a standing offer. I ride, all, I ride maybe twice a week. Uh, on a good week, maybe three times I go. And um, most of the time it's just me. So I hook up uh, Candelita to the Dulce's saddle mm-hmm. and I ride Dulce. Uh, and the reason I do that is because Candelita, uh, Dulce doesn't do good as a tow horse. Mm-hmm. Dulce likes to be in the lead. So mm-hmm. if I put... If I saddle up Candelita and tow Dulce, then Dulce gets in the way. So it's just easier to do the other way around. Dulce's the alpha, the alpha female. Ah. So even when I give them their treats afterwards, their mash afterwards, mm-hmm. I have to stand around for a while because otherwise Dulce will <laughs> eat both of them. <laughs> She's been on a diet, you know. I think maybe I talked about this before. She had what's the equivalent of polycystic ovarian disease of a horse. And she got laminitis, which is inflammation of her hooves from, yep. from high blood sugars. Yep. And so she's on, <laughs> she was on metformin, which is a diabetic medication. She's mm-hmm. on thyroid medication. She lost about 100 pounds, and she looks great. And she's wow. doing great. And her feet got better, which sometimes it doesn't happen. So she's doing great. And uh, the ranch looks beautiful. I think I, on my last podcast, I did mention, I think the, the title of it was Life Renews Itself. And yes. I've been for some rides there. And there's so many butterflies and so many flowers and the vineyards are blooming, even though four months ago they were all charred. It was all nothing. Okay. Yeah, from the Woolsey fire. Let's plan it. Let's plan a day. I'm coming out. All right, John, can you come with us? We can do a we can do a remote podcast. That'd be fun on horseback. Right. We'll get John on horseback. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. So moving again. So the other thing about moving is it it, it really is kind of nice because you go through stuff, you sort stuff out, you you purge. Um, it's a set, it's a sense of freedom. People say, "Why am I moving?" And you know, I was using the word downsizing, but some of my guru friends mm-hmm. said, "You know, downsizing is not a bad word, but it, it, but it, you know, you should use the word freedom." Yeah, and it is. I'm saving a lot of money by moving, and I'm also it's a very convenient location, and uh, I needed to take a step down if my long term goal is to is to maybe make some ma- more major changes um, as I get older. Yeah. Um, being on call every night has been hard, as you know. We've yeah. talked about that many times, you and I and Beth. Uh, and so when I have a breach or twins in town uh, that's due, it's really hard for me to go away. And this podcast will come out after it, but um, this Saturday I'm going to Portland to teach. Just for fun? Oh, No, teaching. to teach a mm-hmm. breach seminar on Sunday and coming back Monday. Mm-hmm. And I have some twins that are in due range. And if they go into labor while I'm gone, uh, if, if Trevira is available... Then he said he'll help us out. But guess what? His wife is due mm-hmm. on June 3rd, I think. So if, yeah. he, if wife's in labor, I guess he's not available. <laughs> yep. I can guarantee that one. Do you know that I delivered a baby on the same day Madeline was born? I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. She had my, um, uh, Sandy had a scheduled C-section at 730 in the morning on a Saturday at Cedars. Mm-hmm. And then I was covering also, I think at that time it was St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. And one of my clients went into labor late that night, like at 11 o'clock that night. I went and delivered wow. a baby. So that baby's got the same date, birthday as 
my daughter. Hard. Why did she have a scheduled C-section? She did, she'd had two previous ones. And uh, mm-hmm. This was this was pre this was twenty twenty one years ago. This was twenty two years ago. This was pre evolutionary Doctor Stu. That's right. Yeah. Right. I and figured. plus plus that's what she wanted, and I would never have talked her out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not my role to uh, to coerce my own my own my own wife at the time. I agree. Right. I agree. Yes. I'm looking at a place today. A new place to live. Yeah? Yeah. In LA? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Don't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving yet. All right. Um, and this weekend, I'm going to do a yoga teacher training, um, prenatal yoga teacher training in uh, OC for the whole weekend. Are you the trainer or are you no. the student? I'm the student. I'm already a... You are really branching out. I mean, all the things that you're doing, you're going to like be a multi-purpose facility all to yourself. I know. <laughs> I'm going to be... The mini sanctuary. Right. You're going to be like a shopping mall, except it's just bliss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know that. People walk into one store and there's you behind the counter and then they go to the next store and it's you behind the counter and the next door it's, hey, did I know, don't I know you from someplace? <laughs> Am I an overachiever? What is it? I don't know. No, you are, you are an enthusiastic person who likes to be educated. Yeah. Doesn't I want am. her brain to stop and get stagnant. I am. But it's in Brea. And I thought, oh, cool, I'll kind of like go and stay in a hotel for the weekend and maybe do some writing. And um, Brea is not like a ha- happening I don't, I don't, place. I don't, I don't, I don't really think. know where that is. I think it's near Disneyland. Oh, is it Orange County? Yes, it, it's Orange is, County. Oh, okay. So well, at least they have nice roads there. <laughs> they do. There's no potholes in Orange County. Did you know that? N- no. No. Just drive the five. Oh, I think you it, said it you sucks, mentioned this It sucks. And then you cross into Orange County and suddenly it widens to like five lanes and it's beautiful. <laughs> But L.A. County, it's potholes. Yeah. Oh, funny, uh, not a funny story, but the other day I transported, I, I, I had a woman who labored 20 hours for breach. Unbelievably beautiful place up in the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. And she ended up getting completely dilated, but never descended, never got an urge to push. And, you know, with breaches, there's not much we can do with that sort of thing. So What was the station? It was pl- like plus one. Mm. Yeah. And it never, baby never descended. And uh, what were her contractions like? They were good for a while. Eventually, she got exhausted and she got wiped out. Mm-hmm. I even gave her the offer to have her try to push a few times, and she said, I don't have it in me. Did you try an IV? No. 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 So, uh, the story being, anyway, that uh, he was too tired to drive her to the hospital, so I put them in the backseat of my car. Oh, really? And I drove them, and then the student drove their car. And um, we're going on the streets of L.A. to get to the hospital, and uh, we're going over potholes and stuff like that. And, and I'm watching her in the back seat because I can see her face in the mirror. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on a freeway and I'm going over and, and, and I'm bouncing around on potholes. And it seems like it shouldn't be right to make a pregnant woman who's been laboring for 20 hours in the back seat have to go out through potholes on a freeway. But I've heard women talk about the drive and the potholes. And a lot of them will mention... on. Going to Cedars, the ones on La Cienega, they're like, "Oh yeah, that, that pot- pothole on Melrose and La Cienega, <laughs> that right? <one's> yeah, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad." I think there's an app for that. I think you can find potholes in L.A. app. Is it really? No, I don't know. Oh, like, there was an old Seinfeld wow. episode where George George was going to have the best bathrooms in New York, where you could you could go relieve yourself. <laughs> and this was before the comp- before the app system, so I'm not sure how he was going to. Do that. That actually have a website. would be really smart. Well, there probably is something like that. I'm sure. Yeah, that would be very smart. Yeah. Anyway, so what's interesting about this birth is that she had the baby by cesarean section, and she named the baby Agnes. Mm-hmm. And the baby Agnes was born exactly one year from my niece, who had a breach, mm. who had a C-section in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, electively, she chose and named it, it Agnes and named it Ayla. Oh. <laughs> so they're named the same day. Both A names. Uh-huh. Yeah. So next time, Laura, you come out, if you're listening, Laura, which I know you do, uh, if you bring Hi, Ayla, Ayla out, you're going to come and you're going to meet Agnes, okay? <laughs> Don't you just love the name Agnes, by the way, speaking of names? Yeah, we did this. We no, talked about the names. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very No, old, I remember that. I was here. <laughs> I'm, really fr- I'm fresh today. I had a good night's sleep, uh, unlike you. Sometimes you don't remember things. Oh, I, a lot. But today I'm, I'm sharp today. So. All right. You taking your ginkgo biloba or whatever that is? Uh, no, I, t- I took my uh, I, t- I take my chondroitin stuff from my back. Is that <laughs> pain it? medication? No, it's uh, it's like shark Anti. cartilage and cartilage stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, and mm-hmm. I take turmeric. I take turmeric. Yeah, does it do any good? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> and ashwagandha—that's my other new one because they said that my uh, 
my body was not coping with the stress of my life very well. Ashwagandha isn't mm-hmm. that a, isn't that the country where Black Panther comes from? <laughs> I hope I'm not <laughs> no, saying I, it no, wrong. No, no, <laughs> I can't remember. It's, it's similar. Yeah, yeah never mind. <laughs> okay, so uh, you, on the other hand, are yeah, coming me. here a little bit more groggy than me <laughs> because we had a very interesting patient that I got to see in consultation a couple times. So yeah, you did. Why don't you tell us tell the listeners a little bit about that? Well, this mama um, was a sanctuary client, um, and she sanctuary had being the the center that we that met closed. at, yeah. yeah, that we closed um, in two thousand. So it was her second baby, then is what you're saying. It was her second baby. She um, had meconium staining with her first, and they opted to go to the hospital after informed consent. Um, and ended up with a C-section after getting to six centimeters and some decelerations. Um, so she called me and said she wanted to hire me as a monitrice to um, help her have a VBAC in the hospital. And as we were talking, um, it became apparent that she really wanted to try to have a home birth but was scared. Um, and uh, so we, they hired me to be the midwife and to um, attempt to have an HBAC. Um, and then she, uh, around 38 weeks started, um, reporting that she was leaking fluid. Um, her doula went over, she was going over for something anyways, and they confirmed the rupture with a amnicator from her birth kit. Uh, that's that little, uh, for people that don't know, there's a thing you can have in your birth kit that's, uh, it's like a Q-tip with, uh, sort of pH paper on, or pH stuff mm-hmm. on one end. You can order it from Cascade, and, too. And, amni- mm-hmm. and amniotic, fluid, if it, amniotic fluid turns it sort of black, right? Yeah, it should be really dark. Yeah, really almost dark. black. Right. Um, so... Uh, so she, I, you know, I gave her, I gave her all the information from evidence-based birth to go and research, um, prolonged rupture of membranes and to really inform herself. And we talked about the fact that most women will go into labor within 24 hours and, um, but 72 was really, you know, totally reasonable. And the 24 hour mark was just, you know, it was antiquated and she should read up on it. So she felt very comfortable with that decision. 24 hours passed, 48 hours passed, um, and she was having no contractions. So um, I recommended that she go in and see you and do a non-stress test and confirm rupture, right? That's when you saw her the first, first time. First time, right, mm-hmm. which was last Thursday? Mm-hmm. Well, people don't know what that means, but it was about <laughs> uh, about five, six days ago. Yeah, six days Mm-mm. ago. No, she was, she was ruptured for over a week. No, but when I saw her, that was like six days ago. Mm-hmm. So she'd already been ruptured just a couple of days. A couple of days, point. yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so you said it t- It was hard for you to confirm Yeah, rupture. what's really interesting about that, and I'll tell people, I mean, when we do, a, uh, when we're trying to confirm rupture in someone who's, who it's vague, there's something called a sterile spec exam, which is still something that, that is practical to use. And so the woman is up in stirrups and you... Um, place a speculum in without, I don't use any KY jelly or anything like that because mm-hmm. you don't want to get any other fluid. You slide, gently put a speculum inside and you open it up and see if there's pooling of fluid in the, in the posterior fornix behind the cervix. In her case, there was no pooling. Mm-hmm. All right. Then you want to look for um, uh, pH paper mm-hmm. testing. Mm-hmm. And the pH of her um, of discharge was only around 5.5 or 6. Mm-hmm. And generally, pHs of amniotic fluid are above seven. So mm-hmm. they're basic. So they turn pH paper blue or in case of the amnicator black. Uh, so it was very non-convincing. So then I, I swiped it on a slide and let it dry and look for something called ferning. Didn't see any. Mm-hmm. All right. So then um, I have, you know, she needs to go. I think she had to go to the bathroom to do something. Was it a culture? Or? No, she'd already had her cultures done. I think she just had to go. Yeah, she had to go to the bathroom. So I said, well, you know, take, an, take some more Q-tips in. And when you're in the bathroom and put them in deep inside while you're on the toilet and see what happens. So she did that. She brought out two Q-tips. I did the whole test again. Still equivocal. Still essentially negative. Yeah. Okay. So that's twice. So then uh, we're deciding that maybe she's not ruptured. Maybe she had a leak between the, the um, amnion and the chorion. Yeah. Or maybe she had a high leak and it's sealed, whatever that means. I don't really can't visualize how that happens, but... But we always talk about that sort of thing because her AFI was fine. Yes. And her biophysical profile was, I think, eight out of 10. I don't think we saw fetal breathing. Right. But that's still fine for me mm-hmm. uh, because we expect labor to be pending. 
And uh, as a general trend, people often say that fetal breathing will disappear a day or two before labor ensues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always true. It's not always untrue. So, uh, but so not seeing fetal breathing with everything else, with the movement, the tone, the reactive NST, and the good bio and good fluid, um, there was nothing to r- resist us from telling her she could go home for a little bit longer. So then, while she's sitting on the table and we're talking, she says, "Oh, I just had a little more leakage." Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was wearing a pad. So she gave me the pad. And I took the pad back to the lab <laughs> and I actually squeezed the pad and clear liquid dripped out. I put it on a slide and let it dry. And pH was still that equivocal number. Uh, but we obviously had a lot, we had clear liquid. So what could it be? Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, when it dried, there was definitely ferning on the ultrasound. So, I mean, on the, on the microscope. So, um, so she was ruptured, mm-hmm. but it was sort of kind of not your obvious rupture. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so to make a long story short, we did prove that she was ruptured, and now she it's been about two days, I think now, mm-hmm. a little more than two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened then? So, you know, I really uh, walk that line um, of true informed consent, and so I told them, you know, here are your options. We could go into the hospital and get induced, go into Kaiser and get induced. We could try and get things moving at home, but you're only 38 weeks. And I really think this is just a li- like it's not a full rupture. It's just a small li- rupture. And um, or we could just wait. And she said that you had told her the story about the twins, the nurse th- that was ruptured. For yeah, a really that you long and I were both taking mm-hmm, care of. Right. Mm-hmm. She kept taking her temperature and she was super comfortable. How long did she go? Six days. Yeah. So um, she they decided. How many times did we drive out there? Because she was sort of. out. Yeah. She was out in like. Uh, Ontario or someplace yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not Canada for my foreign listeners. There's a place in California called Ontario, California, right? And there's an airport there. Um, so they decided that they wanted to and wait. A, and there's the Kings minor league <laughs> hockey team plays there too. <laughs> so they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and um, she had started to have some contractions um, that that had her doula and I both go over there. She was having contractions every four minutes for over an hour. So we went over there and um, things completely stalled out. I checked her. She was maybe two. Uh, so is that the first time you'd done an exam on her? Or had you done one earlier? No, I didn't want to examine right, her. Right, of course. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, that was the very first time you'd done an exam on her. Yep. What time of day was this, by the way? It was in the middle of the night. Oh, it was in the middle of the night. Yeah. And she stopped anyway. She Yeah, she had um, a huge weird. emesis and then... Uh, that was just stopped. So what, I, was it projectile? <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was a lot. And so I said, it's it's early for me to be here, sweetie. You have more work to do. And so I, I went home. And then she labored again the second night. Her doula went back again. Um, and then we came and saw you. It was already planned. So you, you saw me, well, technically yesterday. Yes. And that would have been how many days post-rupture? Six? Mm-hmm. Six days. Yeah. And you and you we you and I talked and planned the second NST, and um, and I went for a visit on Saturday just to check in on her. And yeah, baby. and we would have, seen, you know, we stretched it a little bit because we would have seen her on Monday, but Monday, of course, was Memorial it was Day. A holiday. And we, it was nobody was open, so mm-hmm. we gave her the option of, you know, going someplace else. But her only choice was, I think, um, a major HMO here, and she didn't really want to deal with that. Right. Right. So, um, and when I got there, you had already checked her, and she was spilling ketones, and she had. I didn't check her vaginally. I just, no. uh, yeah, I didn't uh, her evaluated her. And she was, she, her specific gravity was actually okay at 1.010, which is not dehydrated. Usually mm-hmm. if it's dehydrated, your specific gravity is going to be 1.025, 1.030. But she had two plus ketones, which, mm-hmm. and she admitted the fact that she hadn't eaten anything significant in 24 hours. Since she had that vomit. So, yeah. and um, her doula and her husband were surprised at this. Um, so we, um, then we did the biophysical profile and the NST. She got eight out of eight again. The amniotic eight fluid. Eight out of 10, right? Yeah, eight out of 10. Um, the amniotic fluid was um, a little bit less, but still it was, within. It was only six. Appropriate but, range. But only six is a, normal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was quizzing Blizz there. She didn't, she failed. No, I mean, I mean, six is normal. <laughs> yeah. she, had, she had a pocket of three centimeters, a pocket of two centimeters. And you measured the baby's um, bladder. Oh, and the, yeah, and the bladder, we saw the bladder get larger while during the scan. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting, all the math you were doing. I didn't yeah, follow it. Yeah, four-thirds pi r cubed. Yeah, it was a lot of math. Yeah, no. so you take the diameter of the bladder, 
mm-hmm. and then you take it in half, which is a radius. Mm-hmm. You take the radius, multiply it by itself three times, mm-hmm. multiply that by four, <laughs> and then the pi, which is 3.1415, blah, 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 and then it's four thirds. So the pi and the three underneath usually cancel each other out. So it's just basically four R cubed. So if, for an easy thing, say she has a bladder that has a diameter of four centimeters. So the radius is two centimeters. Remember that? That's like half the diameter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Bliss is looking at me with glazed over eyes. Like, no math. Yeah, no math. For me. Um, Maybe so someone two, out there is So two times us. two times two is eight. Mm-hmm. And four times eight is 32. Yes. So essentially that's about an ounce or a shot glass, well, about a urine. That's a pretty average full bladder. And that's, for a baby. For a baby, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not so you know that the baby's making urine, and that's uh, that's a good sign because yeah. it's make, baby making urine is being perfused. Yeah. So everybody looked okay, but we decided that she needed to have her baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so we did castor oil. Um, I have herbs and I have homeopathy that I use sometimes, but I just felt like she had already done so much. She was so exhausted that just doing this whole like cycle circuit of, you know, walking, herbs, nipple stimulation, in the shower, you know, blah, 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 for hours and hours was just too much. Yeah, not being a uh, castor oil expert, um, this seems like the perfect case for castor oil. Yeah. It's, you're, not, you're inducing someone who's already got you in irritability, who's already got a favorable cervix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, a Foley catheter you can't, or a cook, cook catheter you really don't want to use in someone who's ruptured. Plus, she's already at least two centimeters, and the, and the cook only gets them to maybe three to four. Right. So it was that, or it was membrane stripping, which of course you really don't necessarily want to do either in someone who's been ruptured for six days. Right. So it was a good choice. Yeah. So she she had some food and went home and rested, and then they did um, two doses of castor oil. Um, Hayes and I were talking about it. I get really good results with it, and I hear a lot of horrible things about castor oil um, in terms of women having vomiting and lots of diarrhea and dehydrated and all of that, but. I guess sometimes people take four ounces of castor oil versus two tablespoons in in like a smoothie. Um, so two tablespoons, by the way, is better, um, much is, better. Is, is is one ounce. Okay. A tablespoon is fifteen so cc's. <laughs> Here we go, math again. No, a teaspoon yeah. is five cc's. A mm-hmm. tablespoon is three times that. Mm-hmm. And then and two tablespoons is is an ounce, so it's the same as a shot glass. If two tablespoons should fill a Two full tablespoons should fill a mm-hmm. shot glass. Yeah. So that's much better, by the way, than four ounces. It's just too much. It, it causes a lot of issues. So she did that twice. And then just like I so she expected. Did, she did it twice, though. So she did end up taking four ounces, though, right? She ended up taking two tablespoons twice. Okay. So that's two ounces. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. two ounces. Okay, yeah. great. Right, but great. separate, right? So sometimes one. How far apart? Two hours. Two hours two apart. Two hours apart. And mixed with what? Because people like to know this. Everybody has their own little cocktail. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Um, the um, the nectar from apricots and um, water and almond butter and blend it. You can, blend you can, it. You're supposed to put lemon verbena in it too, but it's really hard to get lemon verbena. So oh, I don't what know. Is, what is lemon verbena? It's an essential oil from. Oh, it's essential oil. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but. I we I, it's hard to get so um yeah and then I timed it so that we, she wouldn't be going into booming labor in LA traffic at five o'clock because that would have been disastrous and um so she called us around nine to come over. So what time did she take the stuff? At five and seven. Um yeah. Five and seven. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And it worked. And she went to labor at nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time we got there, she was just getting like super active. Mm -hmm. Um, I checked her just to see if I should set up the tub and she was only like five um, and negative one. And within an hour, she was complete from there. Um, And uh, beautiful. Water birth? Did she get into the tub at all? Or no she time? did get into the tub. Um, she got hot in there and her temperature went up to 99.8 or something. And the baby was tacky um and i thought birth was imminent and baby was going to come out any minute but when i could tell that it wasn't i was like we really should get out um so we ended up on a birth stool and um so even after six days of ruptured membranes and Mm -hmm. two vaginal exams or maybe three vaginal exams and uh all that stuff she never spiked a fever just that just well that's not a fever but yeah she didn't spike a fever yeah and the baby only became tachycardic. Uh, I think because of the tub. Because the tub and mm-hmm. mom's core temperature was probably mm-hmm. up. And when mm-hmm. she got back out, came down a little bit. So um, 
you know, the idea that we hear everywhere that, you know, you have to, if within 18 hours you have to start antibiotics and with 24 hours is all you have to get a baby out. And that's sort of standardized practice in most major medical facilities and HMOs and stuff like that. Certainly hers. Yeah. Um, it would have been totally different. Yeah. But you can, you can do this and you can trust that if you give informed consent and people know what to watch for and you have diligent people, patients or clients, um, that she, and she was able to do it and yeah. she, and she got a V back. Yeah. She burst into tears. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. Uh, and I started crying. Oh, every, everybody was probably crying. Oh, it was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. I did have a question for you though, as I was going through my head about the, her temperature rising and, and, um, the baby, if birth hadn't been imminent in your opinion, do you think I should have transported or given her antibiotics? Uh, explain again, because the heart rate went up to what? <laughs> oh, you don't want to say, okay, never mind. All right. It, it was, uh, more than 160. I'll just say that. Yeah. Okay. And then her temperature never, she didn't spike a fever, Mm-mm. but she was completely dilated. Yes. If you're saying she was only five centimeters two. and this happened. Plus two. If she was only five centimeters and this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a probably transport would have mm-hmm. probably made sense because mm-hmm. you you do oh, have yeah. that risk. Yeah, yeah. But if she's if she's complete and pushing, and you wanted to expedite things, you always have the option of calling me for a vacuum if there was going to be a long process to get the yeah. baby out faster. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, I don't think that uh, you needed to do necessarily anything as long as the heart rate came back down again at some point mm-hmm. when All the right. baby was out. <laughs> when the baby was out, fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you watch the baby. And look at... Yeah, you got to watch the, the baby. Worst can, the worst case... Well, not the worst case here, but a, a possible scenario here is that, okay, so she gets her home V back, mm-hmm. and the baby needs more attention than you can take care of. And so the baby ends up going to the hospital. Yeah, because right? of, of respiratory. Respiratory issues. or fever or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but the, but if she would have had the same... If all her care would have been in the hospital, the baby would already be six days old. And probably have been born by cesarean section. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they would. She had ruptured membranes. She was a previous scar. There are there are institutions that will not augment a previous scar despite ACOG guidelines that say it's absolutely fine to do it. Right. Um, who knows what would have happened? Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, not everything that we do ends up coming out right, but if you just follow the basic tenet of giving people options and letting Mm -hmm. them decide what seems to be right for them and respecting those decisions. Right. Informed consent. And we're talking about reasonable options here. Um, Then, you know, I think that people will accept whatever outcome comes. Right. By the way, I had another VBAC that was a hospital planned birth too. Yeah. And she had um, some bleeding early in labor and I couldn't I couldn't differentiate whether or not it was something having to do with her placenta and I said you know the most conservative she's a lawyer and she's conservative I said the most conservative thing is to go in and be monitored in the hospital yeah however because you're not having any contractions I really think that you might want to consider doing castor oil before you go in I sound castor oil crazy right now um, but she did, and they also had their baby vaginally in the hospital without any augmentation. So, do you know why she had her first C-section? Breach planned oh. C-section. All right, so no choices there. And when they got there for the for the planned C-section, um, she had gone into labor that morning, and she went to the hospital and said, "You know, I'm, I have a C-section planned today, and I'm, I'm, I'm in labor." And they just had her wait there. For hours and hours and hours. And by the time they finally, like, she said, you know, she was getting really active. And they checked her. She was seven centimeters. And then they finally rushed her in. But interesting. He's like, I don't know why they didn't just, like, take us in. Why they had us labor for six hours or something. Probably operating room dystocia is yeah. what usually happens. Yeah, that's what I said. But. Well, cause this, this, that story and then the, the brief story I had about um, the woman who labored for 20 hours, the breach didn't come down and stuff like that, brings me to the, there's a unifying subject in that topic, and that's the thing of call, that everybody calls, for lack of a better term, failure to progress or arrest of dissent or arrest of dilatation. And, and it's, a, it's a really interesting topic, and I was talking with Chavira, Dr. Chavira, after the <clears throat> transport with mine, and we were talking about this whole thing, and he 
So it's something that, that when my student asked him why she thought that this happens, and he said, I don't even look for that sort of thing because it's, in, in it's, it's inexplicable. And I agree completely that this the same person who has a C-section for a seven and a half pound baby at six centimeters arrested in a subsequent pregnancy will have a nine pound baby in a four hour vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. So to try to analyze why, and everybody wants to know why didn't I, why wasn't I successful? Why didn't this baby come out? Why didn't it come down? It's a fool's errand to try to figure that out sometimes. Sometimes you can have a reason, but most of the time you don't have a reason. Mm-hmm. And it really is f- difficult. And and in, in the you know what I always say sometimes is the hospital model interrupts the mammalian birth model. And therefore you see dystocia and you see dysfunctional labor more likely in the hospital model. But that wasn't the case with my client. I mean, we were mm-hmm. at this beautiful place up in the hills for 20 hours and only disruption in her life was about every 30 to 45 minutes. One of the students or the midwives would sneak in and do and listen to heart tones. And mm-hmm. about every six hours, we do a set of vitals. And, and that was it. Otherwise, we left them to their own accord. Yeah. So they had a perfect mammalian birth and their mm-hmm. perfect little birth cave. And yet, still, that baby didn't come down. Yeah. And it, it, was, it was 8-3. It wasn't huge. And um, so there's no explaining that. Because your, first, your, your mom... Had a C-section, she got it six centimeters and arrested, mm-hmm. and now she had a. Once it happened, it went pretty quickly. Yeah, and she had a, <laughs> she had a long prodrome, but once she went into labor, it went pretty quickly. Baby was definitely because of the way that the molding was. That baby was OP. Today's baby or the one from today's baby, and it still came out. It didn't deliver OP, but it was OP. That's probably why her her labor stopped and started the way that it did, you know, because that baby needed to rotate. If you, Again, if there's a reason for it, we don't always know the reasons yeah. for it. Some labors with babies OP don't stop and start, so it, it's hard to hard to pin that down exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that it's just one of those things where just, just because a woman has a C-section for her first baby because labor stalls out or baby gets in distress or whatever else, you, you, it has, it has no, almost no bearing on what's going to happen in the subsequent pregnancy. So when women are heard, mm-hmm. well, you know, you had a C-section for your sp- first baby and, and it was eight pounds and this baby's definitely bigger. Mm-hmm. You know. Look at my story. Know, call call bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a, just like go, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> right. Uh, what did you say, doctor? <coughs> bullshit. All right. No, you, I mean, you, you have to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone deserves a chance. Trial of labor. Right. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So did you say you had another birth that you wanted to talk about? Because I got a couple letters that I'd like to get into this episode if we can. No, yeah, you do you. Do you. All right, well, hang on. I brought my computer today because um, I couldn't print things out. Why couldn't I print things out? You just because moved. I I moved and I can't not get my wireless printer to hook back up to my laptop. Do you need an IT person? I well I, I I first I called my daughter and she said, "Dad, Google it." So I Googled it and I followed all the instructions, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't work. Still wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. So I tried different things and it wouldn't work. So finally I succumbed, and I was at the movies the other day, and across the street from the movie theater happened to be a Best Buy Geek Squad, and I went to the Geek Squad, mm-hmm. and and so I am paying eighty bucks seventy nine ninety nine. To have someone come out on Friday to figure out how to hook my... He'll be there for literally probably about four minutes. <laughs> it's so worth it to me to pay that kind of money for yeah. that stuff. I wouldn't have even Googled it. I would have just called the Geek Squad. Hang on, I got I to gotta have my screen recognize me here. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have a letter from... Let's see. Should we go from... T- we go Texas first? No, let's go... Um, let's go... Where's she from? SoCal, I think. Yes, SoCal. This is from Malia, and she wrote me on May 23rd. And the reason I bring this up is because we did talk about polyhydramnios in one of our recent podcasts. Yeah, we we? did. Okay, so she says, uh, I'll skip the platitudes because there's lots of nice platitudes here. Um, I'm a four-time home birth mom, a doula, childbirth educator, La Leche League leader, and baby-wearing educator. You know, she can work in your mall. (laughs) <laughs> then it wouldn't just be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She can. Bliss, you can hire this person because she's she can work in any of the stores in your mall. It's great. <laughs> All right. I love your podcast. Oh, there's more platitudes. Oh, and, thank and I you. listen to it as I drive to doula client appointments. I currently live in the Bay Area. I'm sorry about that, honey. That's just really too bad. <laughs> but I'm from, I like the Bay but, Area. Oh yeah, right. But I'm from <laughs> Southern California, and, 
Yeah, but the Bay Area has the sharks in it. And yeah. guess what happened to the sharks last week? They got their ass beat. They got their asses kicked. <laughs> yeah. I guessed, yeah. by the way. Totally, totally. <laughs> so um, uh, the first two kids were born at home in Long Beach. Funny side note is that my first son born in 2010, I saw a doctor in Santa Monica to establish backup care. That Dr. Stu was part of the same practice. Well, I didn't see Dr. Sue, his name, but I, well, I didn't see Dr. Sue, his name was on my ultrasound. So 2010. Dr. Klein. That was Dr. Klein. Yeah. My friend David Klein, who passed away in 2012. You never met him. And I just want you to know that, that for people listening, um, you know, I don't have any relatives in the military that are closely related to me and certainly not buried here in California. But on Memorial Day, I went out and sat with David. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, and I, 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 uh, I told him that uh, the Sharks lost, and he was happy about that. <laughs> and I was sad because he's a big Packer fan, and that same day, Bart Starr passed away. Mm. So he was sad about that. But then I told him his kids are doing great, and he was yeah. happy about that. That's super sweet. Right. So anyway, so that's nice of her to sort of recall mm-hmm. David in that way. Mm-hmm. I really love your podcast. Oh, she keeps saying this. <laughs> 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 so we many, love you. And yeah, we love you, Malia. Okay. <laughs> uh, hope you guys don't plan to stop anytime soon. All right. Well, we don't plan to stop anytime soon. No. I did want to comment on your polyhydramnios episode. With the same pregnancy mentioned at 20 weeks, I was diagnosed with poly with an AFI of 32 at 20 weeks. That's a lot. Not sure if you... Oh, then he goes on to talk about a specific perinatologist, which I'll just leave that out because it's fine. I know he's a perinatologist. And he was amazingly supportive of the home birth and my subsequent home births. He did the scan for all four pregnancies, even after a placental abruption at birth at home with baby number two. He was not hesitant to be okay with number three being born at home. Mm. When I was diagnosed with poly, my midwife wanted to transfer my care to an OB, but this perinatologist suggested I cut out all sugar and carbs, including fruits, focusing only on protein and vegetables. I guess the low glycemic vegetables like broccoli and Mm -hmm. um, uh, Brussels sprouts, stuff like that, which I now know is the ideal pregnancy diet. But I was very strict about it. And around 30 weeks, we rescanned and the AFI was down to 24. After fear of premature rupture of membranes or cord prolapse, ironically, the baby was born in the call at home. (laughs) While talking to this doctor, he mentioned that I wouldn't even see, wouldn't ever see the diet suggestion from Googling, but that it worked, and he was right that I have never had any heard anyone else mention it, but it really did work for me, and she just wanted to bring it to our attention. Thank you. That's a wonderful suggestion. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't have polyhydramnios, eating healthy vegetables and protein is probably a, it's great the main you. way to go. Yeah. You, know, you can stick in a little pasta now and then or a little bit of, of high glycemic carbs, but not making a, a habit of it. Yeah, what I tell people is, you know, focus on the protein, a palm-sized portion of protein five times a day, and um, a rainbow. We've talked about this before. So, uh, you know, variety in the fruits and vegetables that they eat, but focusing on those, and then if they have any carbohydrates, to have them around that, but not to have those be the focus of their of their meals. So, so thank you, because that's, that, that's good information for... Um, for our listeners. Yeah. And then here's another one from Texas, from Kira in Texas. She says, Die, Dr. Stu and Bliss. You know, it's nice because all my letters now include you. Did, did that happen with your other co-hosts? I don't, I don't think I got, I don't think I, I was as popular then. Oh. And I don't think, you know, and yeah, I think with, with Kim, yes. Mm-hmm. With Brian, no, nobody wrote to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Stewie, Dr. Stewie, we love you, but that Brian guy, no, we, uh, yeah. Brian guy, Brian guy is a professional and excellent. And uh, if you listen to the first 60 or 80 podcasts I have with, or maybe even more with Brian, um, they're funny. I think some of them are so funny. And, <laughs> and you know, I heard, I heard from a couple of listeners that some of them aren't playing well, that uh, whatever support system we have, I think Squarespace, or I'm not sure, I don't want to blame anyone, so I'm not going to blame anybody, but whoever's modulating these things, we're looking at alternatives because some of the old ones aren't playing and we really don't want to lose any of them. we we'll keep them archived. I'm not a professional. <laughs> All right. So Kira writes, hi, I'm Kira, 27 years old from Texas, 33 weeks pregnant. I first heard you mentioned by a mom on the Birth Hour podcast and then started listening to your podcast. I have questions about chronic hypertension that I'm hoping you can lend your wisdom to. Bliss has tons of wisdom about chronic hypertension. So 
Let's see what Liz has to say about that. I've gotten high blood pressure reading since high school. No doctor ever saw fit to treat until I got pregnant. Now I'm apparently a ticking time bomb. <laughs> I've had the stillborn card thrown at me several times by my OB in an effort to get me to comply with her recommendations. Weekly ultrasounds to check fluid, weekly NSTs, and an induction at 38 weeks, no ifs, ands, or buts. What I'm annoyed about is that since starting labetalol at around 14 weeks, my blood pressure has been really good, 120 to 130 over 70 to 80. Given these readings, a lack of preeclamptic symptoms, and that the fact that the baby has always looked perfect in, many, in my many, many, many ultrasounds, I am mm-hmm. <laughs> really skeptical of the mandatory induction at 38 weeks. I'd like to push the induction as late as possible. Yeah, why don't you push it back until after, you, after the baby's born, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel better about late in my 39th week or even not induced at all. What is realistic here? And she said it's under control. Yeah, essentially she has well-controlled hypertension yeah. and the baby's growth and, and, and there's no other signs of anything developing. I, you know, I, I don't have any other information, but based on what she's telling you, what do you think about that? I think that it's perfectly reasonable to decline an induction unless her hypertension is actually showing issues. Hypertension showing issues, developing signs of preeclampsia, fetal growth changing, biophysical profile altering. If those things are normal, then there's absolutely no No reason reason to do it. And uh, fortunately, you're only 27 years old because if you were 35 or older, then they'd pour that one on you too. Yeah. As the reason to, yeah. to, for all of that. Totally. So uh, we're in unison agreement that um, you can decline. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, again, we say that because we're, you know, uh, independent third party that has no dog in that fight. You, have, however, have a pr- practitioner who this is what she wants to do. And you may be, you have to struggle because she may give you a very hard time with that. It may be very difficult. And that's unfortunate we talked about that on pretty much every podcast. Yeah. We talk about the fact that, that ideally having a practitioner who's like-minded from the very beginning is a really good thing to do. There just aren't enough of them out there. And a lot of times you don't find out about your practitioner's real views and fears and anxieties until later in the pregnancy when it's almost too late to make any changes. Right. Exactly. Sorry. I hope that you can uh, have a reasonable conversation with her, an educated conversation about what I it mean, is that you want. R- this was this was May twenty third, so this was this week. So so you're only thirty three weeks pregnant. You still have a month or two, and if you seem to be getting lots and lots of resistance from this, there is a possibility of looking around. Yeah. For someone else, it's never too late. Yeah. The problem, of course, as we've talked about, is economically speaking, it's very hard to sometimes find another OB late on because it. This, it just isn't worth it for them financially to take on a client that late because they get paid poorly for a global fee and they get paid much more poorly if you only have a few visits and then delivery with them. So mm-hmm. they don't want to take that on. Midwives would be great. I'm not sure you're up for the idea of having a birth out of the hospital, but you might want to look into that. You certainly are a candidate for that. Uh, I don't know what the rules are in Texas for midwives, but yeah, in, if, you're, in ca- if you're on medication, in California, if you're on medication, I think you can deliver with a midwife if you have a consultation with a physician, I think. Is that right? If, if you, uh, the OB approves that it has been resolved and it's safe to deliver at home. So luckily we have you, otherwise we'd be in trouble. Yeah. Because yeah. you'll say it. You believe that. but Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not crazy. I'll give people what I believe to be honest information. And Absolutely. I especially like it when I don't have a dog in that fight, when it's not my client, when I'm giving advice to somebody else. Now, I have to always be careful when I'm giving advice to people who I have not seen in consultation because there's always potentially more information. It is not exactly fair for me to, to countermand what uh, your physician says when he or she knows more about you than I do. But in general speaking, with the information you've given us, Kira, uh, there's no reason that you should be induced at 38 weeks, let alone even 39 weeks. Um, yeah, wait for a clinical indication that shows that you need to and if, and if move. They th- and if they're throwing the stillbirth card at you, all right, Ask her for numbers. Statistics? Yeah, not, not still even statistics. Like, ask her what the real risks are. The, not the relative risk, but the actual risk of a stillbirth in your case. And then if she says some number that seems a little bit incredible, like, oh, 10% or something like that, then ask her for a reference. Mm-hmm. Where she got that? She's not going to like that very much if you ask her for a reference. But well, you, but it's within your right. So, you know, it's within your right to ask this information. 
Right. So um, we're running out of time. Don't start the music yet because <laughs> I, I wanted to play something uh, in honor of my uh, dear friend and passed away Dave Klein. Um, this was sent to me by uh, one of the people that sits near me during the Kings game after the uh, Sharks uh, cheated in game three and then with a hand pass that led to an overtime goal. And then in the next three games, they scored a total of two goals and got swept by the Blues three straight. Serves to prove that cheaters never prosper, you San Jose Sharks <laughs> people. So let me play this for you. Bye bye sharks. <laughs> Somewhere up there, Dave Klein is smiling. Aww. So, uh, in honor of those that we remember deeply on Memorial Day mm. for the service to our country mm. and the greatest debt that they paid, that we and I, that you and I, can sit here yes. and bab- banter and babble about anything we want. Yes. Because we live in a very great free country, mm-hmm. except when it comes to OB. and then you must do what i say (laughs) yes or else thank you for for mentioning memorial day appreciate that you're welcome Mm -hmm. you're welcome so this has been podcast number 146 uh we'll come up with a good title for it (laughs) (laughs) which you'll know because it'll be on there before you ever listen to this part but this is the fun part for us we really enjoy our time together bliss and i and we enjoy having you listen and we love your letters And we know that you have many, many things to listen to and do during your day. So the fact that you take us with you in your cars or, you know, uh, by the pool and with your headphones or uh, on the airplane or whatever, we really appreciate it. Uh, We look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Uh, Until then. Bye-bye.